Welcome to the Landscaping Podcast. My name is Joel Barnett and I'm your host. And today's episode is the 22nd Instagram Live that we've done. First one that hasn't been done on a Sunday. So today's Monday, recording this, but uh, still had some good questions come in. And because it got extended, I had a couple of extras. So there's uh, two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, and a couple of doubles up. So about 14 questions. So plenty to get through today. And just a couple of crackers to start off with as well. Mr. Trevian from. AT Stone Masonry said, being profitable or creating sublime work, do you find the perfect balance over time? That is a great question and one that I'm yet to find the answer of, but I think it's the perfect perfect storm is to do that, is to be able to be really creative and do perfection in your work and also make a profit. So it's obviously not something you're going to start off with in the early days. You kind of need to build the reputation first. Um, but I'm pretty certain that you can do it. You've just got to, as I said, build that reputation so that you're doing the sublime work and then start charging for it and people are going to want to pay for it. The right people want to pay for it. So definitely is achievable, but also definitely does take time. And then by the time you get there, that could be time when, when you start to uh, retire, when you finally achieve it. So it's one of those things like when you um, actually have to retire is when you're wanting to, then that, that's when you've got money to spend and you're, you're not able to do it so um yeah definitely i think it's a good it's a, it's a balance isn't it being able to create the sublime work or be profitable you probably ideally you would do the same on every job but um it's probably going to be a balance of sometimes you'll be profitable and sometimes you'll be able to um yeah spend a bit more time making making the job perfect uh, and this next question is one of the best that I've heard as well. Just it excites me hearing it. It's from Jack Lockwood. He said, uh, tips for a first-year apprentice, what should I be focusing on? So the fact that there's a first-year apprentice who's uh, looking into like a little landscaping podcast and wanting to get better just blows me away that there's someone that um, showing that much initiative. So I think a tip for you would be to, Come and work for InStyle Gardens. That'd be a good start. Um, but yeah, just just probably listening is the most important thing you can do as a first year apprentice. Um, try and show initiative. Try and think it think steps ahead. So when you're rather than asking what you should be doing next, you want to say, should I be doing this next? So that makes. So when I say that, I mean like, do you want me to be? Do you want me to go and move those pavers or do you want me to put a mix of mortar on? Just not those specific things, but you want to be thinking the next steps ahead and then ask your employer if you want if they want you to do that next. So they don't necessarily have to think of what you're doing next. You've already sort of given them a, the answer and then they might say, yes, that yeah, that's perfect or that you want, I want you to do this. But it's one of those things of when you're asking a question, go with an answer. Um, but yeah, and just listening to podcasts will be a good thing as well. So then you're going to hear the way other business owners think. So then you can have that sort of mindset as well. So you can sort of understand the way your employer thinks. So then you can, um, a lot more things are relatable that way. Um, but yeah, it just excites me that there'd be a first year apprentice who's actually interested in wanting to be better. Whereas the majority of them just, they're just doing a job and just want to, roll over one day after the next, they don't really care. So I've got no doubt that you'll be successful 
just from having that uh, that mindset. So awesome to hear. Rich Earth Landscape said, are you strict with your job schedule or will you try to squeeze in regular clients to keep the relationship? So I don't have a lot of regular clients because it's such a high dollar value a lot of the times. it's Well, in saying that, I was at a, an appointment today uh, on a job that we did some work at 16 years ago, which is pretty wild, so when I was an employee. But um, that's obviously not regular. If it's every 16 years, I'm not sure I'll be still going in. 2039, what will I be then? 56, probably not. But um, but we have had some clients who we do little bits and pieces for uh, and worked on sort of different properties, and I do look after them. Um, they're, they're more likely to get their job done before someone, like a cold call, someone who books in who you haven't worked for, uh, and that's because you worked for them before, they like your work, you like them as a client, so it's just a great relationship. So. There are times where that's yeah you do make those accommodations. It's also good to if you uh, when you're booking work in to leave a bit of a a gap, like a, it only needs to be a week or two, uh, but you always know that you're going to be able to like the next job that's booked in. Worst case scenario, you can squ- you can bring that forward if you don't have any others that fill it in. But if you've got some time available, you can like if there's a a paving project that comes on or just a small garden planting job or something that's small and only a week or two you can um, quote that profitably and then bring it and then squeeze that in and if that doesn't come along you'd bring the other job that's been booked in bring that forward because everyone's always happy to have their job booked, uh, done sooner than than when it was originally done the undersell and over deliver mindset um so i reckon that's a a good way to do it I think Renata Fairhall is a good episode. So episode 100, and she spoke about that with her designs. She'll leave gaps, and she so she can either she could either squeeze in a project for a, a client if she's done work for, or she might just want to go surfing or snowboarding. Or yeah, there's if you if you're leaving a gap, there's so many more options you can use to fill it in. Whereas if you're not leaving gaps, then you're just working your tail off and always struggling to to get the work done. Uh, Peter Donigan said, not a question, but loving the last episodes. Thanks a million for making them. Thank you, Peter. So Peter was just uh, a judge at one of the um, garden shows in the UK. I think that was this weekend, actually. Uh, Two Cubs Camping said, what would you like to see in a landscape-specific app and would you use it? I uh, probably wouldn't use it because there's some out there that uh, are pretty good, but my business size doesn't really... Um, justify any expense on having those apps like um, we use trello which is free and that that does everything that we needed to which is just um, being able to see all the products on a on an, on an app so we can see the designs and uh, the quote and any you can upload any documents to it you can have checklists in there so yeah we use we're pretty simple like that so it's probably a better question for someone who's got more employees because when when you've got more employees than than two like I've got, you're um that's when you sort of need to start using those things and have everyone communicate together uh, more often. And I also don't use uh, we like we've also got an app for timesheets, but uh, again that's just free through QuickBooks, so that uploads to QuickBooks. So the guys just put their hours in that and then like uploads to when I do the accounting and the pays each week. So nothing, nothing that I'll be looking for because I reckon 
Like I haven't had a good look into it, but I reckon synced up would be one to look at if you're wanting to see what a lot of landscape is what that seems to be the most popular one in North America. Not and like they have a lot of apps that are popular over there, but they're more for um maintenance folks, but synced up doesn't seem as suitable for maintenance because it's more um construction. Uh, and that's got basically a lot of apps all built into one. So and uh, and I think it might be four, so let's say it might be four hundred or four hundred and fifty bucks a month, but that's US dollars, so it's pretty expensive. Um and that only works with QuickBooks as well. So something I'd be looking for if I was creating an app would be to make it suitable for Myob and QuickBooks and Zero and as many of those accounting programs as you can because you don't want to isolate the potential market that you can sell to. Um, I don't know how easy it is to make them relevant to all the different accounting platforms, but it's certainly something that I would look into if I was organising an app. But yeah, I don't, I don't have any need for one, so I wouldn't use one. Uh, Matt Ballin said, from the start, how did you li- how do you liaise with? Cl- um, I'll start again. From the start, how do you li- how do you liaise slash communicate with potential clients on what their goals are? I think it was Jason King from King's Landscapes. He had a good suggestion on what he does with his designs. Is he sends out a um. And this is something I've been looking at doing too, but he sends out a questionnaire for the client. So they'll fill that in before he go out and meet them. So then that's, um, then he's got a lot of answers to the questions like budget and style and, um, yeah, things they want to keep and things they want to move within their garden. So that's an awesome way to do it. And we did, um, the landscape architect and they'd come up with a questionnaire and then I just forgot about it. So we haven't actually sent it out to anyone yet. That's something I might uh, get back onto because I think it's a great idea and the best. So you can, then you can get some information before you head out there. So if there's something that they like, or like a particular style or something, and you're not too familiar with it, then you can do a bit of research on it. Um, if yeah, so if there's a style that they like in the and it doesn't seem like it would work in the area that they are, like the suburb that they're in, then you can research is it, like if it's going to work there. So there's a, the more information you can get before you head out there, the better. Um, and that can also make it a shorter time on site if, you're, if you've got that information so you're not asking as many questions or you're going to have more qualified questions that you can ask them. Um, but in terms of what I do, it's just talking to them on the spot. So it's not, yeah, there's not much um, pre-done that I do. So that's something I can work on as well. I reckon a questionnaire is, is the way to go. And sending that out. So as soon as they contact you, you work out, say, yep, this is what we do. Like if you're doing a design, for example, this is what we charge for a design. This is how the process works. Uh, let us know if you're happy to proceed. We'll send you out a questionnaire. And then once you send that back, then we'll, we'll come out and see you. And that could also, like if that, if they, if you are going to put a, um, a budget question in there, rather than saying, what's your budget? You give them options on what the budget is. So, and if you don't want to do projects that are less than, say, $40,000, you can say the budget, these are your budget ranges. So, 40 to 70,000, 70 to 100, et cetera, et cetera. So then they can circle which one they want. And if they say that it's less than 40, then we say, well, we don't work in that market. So we can't help. I'm sorry. So then that saved you. All you've done is send out the questionnaire and that saved you time going out to an appointment that you would never have got any work from anyway. 
Cam from Abcam Horticulture said, "What's something you're that What's something you've done or changed in the business, and wish you'd done it years ago?" Uh, definitely having the separate accounts for things like pay as you go and GST and um, and in a perfect world, like just about everything. So you could put your work put one for work cover, um, employee long service leave, and the superannuation get I'd pay that weekly anyway. But just I would have. 25 accounts in a perfect world and just put little bits, little bits into every account uh, as money comes in or every month or just just do something that way. So then you're always, like, there's never any surprises. And when you've actually got money in your account, it's actually there as profit, not just waiting for a bill to come in. Like that used to happen every quarter. I think, oh, I'm going all right now, and then it's the end of the quarter, so then you've got to pay your PAYG and your BAS at the same time. So yeah, the I can't stress enough. And actually, I was talking to Cam about this a couple of weeks ago. But the importance of having these accounts that you can um, put money aside in, rather than just having one account that everything comes out of and goes into. So that's what, yeah, best piece of advice would be to do that. Uh, Leaf by Leaf has got a couple of questions. Uh, have you always had a depot slash yard? And when did you make the call to commit to one? Not always, but I reckon. I don't know if it would have been a year of if I would have gone for a year before I got uh, my first first shed. Uh, I think I think I, might, I don't know if it was because I had a truck, but it was. I've always had. Um, I've never had a fancy one, so it, it's always been pretty affordable, and it's always yeah more than we need. It's always had a shed and a yard at the back as well, so can't ask much more than that. Um, so I made the call pretty early. And yeah, I could never do it without it because, yeah, we've got three vehicles and a ton of machines as well, not machines, but a ton of tools as well that sit there. We've got multiple mixers and whackers and trailers and store timber there and all sorts of things. And when it's wet, we can work there as well. So there's plenty of benefits of having one. Um, so, but yeah, you've got to work out if it's right for you because if the smaller the business is, the less need there is for one. And also, more importantly, the more employees you've got, the, the uh, more the repayments are distributed. Uh, for example, if you're, let's say you're paying $20,000 a year for one, if you've only got one employee, that $20,000 is spread over two people. But if you've got six employees, that $20,000 is spread over six people. So it makes it easy to pay. And then you've got other things like, you know, if you've got more work cover and all sorts of things like that. But, but yeah, you need to sort of work out if the number you've, of employees that you've got make it justifiable to have have a shed or a yard. And it might, and if you if it's your first one, you could possibly go halves with someone if um, if you only need a small part of one, but it'd be handy. So uh, we shared out one of our sheds a little bit. I've also had a uh, just like the Storage King storage shed. I had a six by three meter one of them for a little while. I didn't have a vehicle there. Done our two vehicles at the time, I think. But um, but yeah, I was able to keep my tools there, a couple of and a mixer, I think. But yeah, yeah, the bigger you get, the more more space you need. Um, and Andy also said, do you think a fuel allowance is necessary if your staff are traveling to multiple sites per day? I would say yes. If they're using their own vehicle, you'd have to have to give them a fuel allowance. And there's in the um the award for the I think it has the Landscaping and Gardening Award 2010 or something. 
there's a um, there's a a certain amount per kilometer that employees ever get paid if they're using their car. So and it's not too crazy. And that just that doesn't just cover the fuel, but also the wear and tear of it, and the insurance, and all those little bits and pieces that are that are hidden. It's it's, it's not much per kilometer, but that's just one of those things you build into your overheads an hourly rate, so that yeah, it's you're not losing money on it. You're recovering that money on every project that you do. Steve Nyland said, "What's your thoughts on designers doing the planting scope on jobs?" So I can uh, sometimes it's alright and sometimes it's it's not, but it, it sort of varies on it varies on who the designer is and how you got the project. Um, there's there's designers we work with who do it, and there's others uh, who have asked to do it. And I said I wouldn't do the project if we if we didn't do it. Uh, I'm not a fan of it, but yeah, some some do it, and uh, particularly if we're getting the job. Specifically through the designer, then, uh, and we know about it beforehand, then that's fine. But, um, but yeah, I think it's it's a, it depends also their reasoning behind it. Like if they're doing it because they're that they care that much about the plants, that uh, they might have worked with landscapers before who were useless and made a mess of the plants and didn't plant them properly or didn't put them in the right place. Um, that that could be why they do it. I've spoken a few times about how important it is it can be for the designers to be on site when the plants go in because they can make changes. They're going to look, make the project look a lot more awesome than what it would have been if you followed the design to the letter just because the things change slightly on site or could be the orientation of a tree. So there's a, a lot of different ways where it's it's uh, valuable for the designers to be on site for the plants, but um, they don't really need to supply them. But again, that could also be because they may have worked with a landscaper who got uh, poor quality stock. So they don't want that to happen on their project again because the, the client has hired them first and then they may have recommended you as a landscaper. Um, so it's kind of if that if there's bad stock going in there, it kind of goes back onto the designer as well. So there's definitely reasons for it, but um, I'm not a fan of it. And then Steve also said, as a designer, will you want to do planning scope if others build your designs? And I yeah, never say never, but I wouldn't have thought I'll be doing that other than if the same thing happens, what I was just talking about, if, if a certain landscape run I was using plants and they're horrendous or tiny, um, there's certain nurseries I won't use because that's the stock they supply. So, yeah, it's not something that I'll be doing, but, yeah, you never know. Until you're in that situation, and yeah, it also depends on who the who the landscaper is and how much experience they've got. Um, when we did the project for Miles Baldwin, he had uh, Brent from Candio Design come and when we were putting the trees in, he got Brent to come out and uh, position the trees so that they had the best orientation and had the best they had the best outlook. So and yeah, that didn't bother me because they like they were supplying the trees and everything, but. Um, but yeah, he's obviously got a lot more experience with with putting pl- the trees that were going in. So yeah, there's times when when you you want the designer to be out there, but um, yeah, it's not a black and white answer where it's definitely yes or definitely no. There's always variations. Very uh, vertical garden said, "Have you tried vertical gardens?" I have, and I think I, I assume I'm still one of the recommended installers for the. What are they? The one that Martin Kallick pots and planters do. 
I think they might be called vicinity green walls. So I've done uh, a couple of those. I haven't done the Atlantis ones. They they seem like they're a good size. Like I think they might be like an eight eight inch pot rather than a six inch pot. Uh, but I'm not a not a vertical garden fan. There, they use an insane amount of plants, and they don't seem to get maintained all that well. Or when they don't get maintained well, they look horrendous. And when they get maintained well, they look really good. Um, but they they're a lot more expensive, a lot more maintenance involved than what you would think than what most people think. I think they look good when they're maintained well, um, but yeah, I have tried them. Never design any into any product other than I like using um, little feature ones. Like I saw uh, Steve Taylor from Cost Design did a couple that uh, they were. I think it might have been made by Lump Sculpture. They were like a, di- a diameter of maybe a meter or twelve hundred, and a circle which was powder-coated black, and then they were filled with plants. So they were a unique item. It would have been expensive pieces, but uh, rather than just doing a, a rectangle, that, that they were something that was a bit more unique. So I like those kind of things where they're little pieces of art, like living art, but not so much as the solid wall. Ainsley490 said, in your episode last week with the West Australian landscaper, so Brady Skevington from Boutique Timeless Landscapes, he indicated a hatred for limestone. Why is that? Without asking him, I assume it's because it's so common in WA, so they just use it all the time. It's pretty similar with bluestone in Victoria. That's what everyone seems to use a lot over here, so you kind of get sick of using the same thing all the time, and that's why people in Victoria like limestone and and Brady got excited about the bluestone. It's just just one of the grass is green on the other side things. That's I assume that's why it is anyway. And the last question for today comes from Brunette Jones Landscapes. Do you use Landscape and Victoria contracts or use your own? So we use the Master Builders Association ones, which is a bit annoying because they're just so much of it is irrelevant to what we're doing because it's the same ones you would use if you were doing a, a $400,000 renovation on your house. You'd use these same same contracts. Um, I think, I don't know if they're the same as new houses, but yeah, just a ridiculous amount of paperwork. It's 53 pages, I think. So you have to initial every page and the client has to initial every page. And if there's two of them on the title, they both have to initial every page and sign it about six times, I think. So there's just it's really annoying having to do it. But uh, the reason I didn't use the landscape Victoria contracts in the early days was because they were a paper based one, and I didn't get my pen license until the end of grade four, and that was just because grade four had finished and everyone else has got their license, and we were going into grade five where you had to use a pen. So I got horrendous handwriting. That's why you see when I ask when I'm reading out the, my own questions that I've written down, I struggle reading them because I'm the one who wrote them down with a pen. So that's why I didn't use their paper-based contracts. And then they recently changed to um, uh, computer-based pro- contracts because that's what the master builders ones are. So they're online. So you print, so you fill out all the information on the on the website and then print it out. So I did that for when the Landscape Victoria brought theirs out, I did that. But then the first one I did, when you send it to the client, they have to uh, – you can't get past the third page without 
accepting a heap of things for if, that are asked in the latter pages. So there might be something that's on page 10 and you have to you have to accept it on page three, but you can't go past page three without accepting it. So it's really weird. So it just makes it awkward between you and the client. So you're telling them you have to say yes to everything before they've had a chance to read it. So, yeah, so I bought a bundle of their contracts, but I'm not using them until that's been fixed because, you know, like they they talk about the importance of using a contract because it's a legal document and all this other stuff. And then I'll say you have to click yes to uh, questions like I've read page 10 and accept it completely. You have to click yes to that before you've actually read page 10. So, like, you can go back after doing it, but just, yeah, it's just a little bit of a a, uh, a bug to fix there. And then I'll, I'll definitely be using the Landscape of Victoria ones once that gets sorted out because they're also a lot shorter as well uh, and they can be done online so you don't need to print it out. So there's way more benefits to doing that, but it's got to be a bit more, um, tidied up a bit more. And they did testing for it beforehand, but nobody picked that up who did the testing for it. So, and it's obviously not that easy to change things when you're using these online contracts. So, uh, don't use it at the moment. But once I once they get that sorted out, then I'll definitely be using it because I've got ten sitting there ready to go. And I'll be doing them on every job as well. So, uh, I think they're they're more expensive than the master builders ones, but uh, but they're also a bit a shorter one, more relevant to what we're doing and purely online so they're a lot better in that regard just a little little bug to fix up but now that was the final question for tonight and we've got adam beswick from avada gardens out this week as a fellow from tasmania so husband and wife team running that design and construction company Uh, so give that one a listen and we'll uh see you again next week